Coast, WTBN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Don't blame God for your sin. Just accept his hand of discipline. Don't blame God. No excuses. And, and certainly not blaming God. Now, why is this important? an important step in getting back to God? Because you will never be right with God as long as you hold something against him. And there are Christians who do that as long as you think he's treated you poorly. You see, the reason some believers are out of fellowship with God in the first place, the reason they need a revival, is because God has brought... In his sovereignty, he has allowed or brought suffering and pain into their lives, and they've resented him for it. Have you ever been mad at God? I have friends who are upset with him right now over trials and disciplines he's taking them through. But we've probably all done that. Even Adam, when God confronted him about his sin, he said that it was because God gave him that woman. Well, today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue his series of lessons from the book of Nehemiah, about the characteristics of a biblical revival. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We don't see revival meetings as much as we used to, but they used to be very common. Churches would say, and quite a few still do this, they'd say, we're going to have a revival next weekend. Really? And how do they know that? Let's listen as Pastor Steve tells us about the steps we can take that will bring us to our own personal revival. Someone has defined the Christian life, the victorious Christian life, as a series of new beginnings. That's really good, a series of new beginnings, because that exactly describes our experience. We stumble as believers, we get up. We sin, we repent. We get out of God's will, we confess our sins, we obey, we get back into God's will. In whatever terms you want to use, and we can all use different terms, the truth is that we, we all blow it at times. We all fail. We all need to start over again and get straightened out. In other words, we all need what, uh, what many call a spiritual revival. Revival is not really... Um, evangelism. Just recently, I, I saw in another town uh, a sign that said evangelistic, uh, or, or uh, it said revival services, re- revival this, uh, this Wednesday. How, how do you know? What, it's really, what they mean by that is it's an evangelistic crusade, but that's not what we mean, and that's not really what the Bible teaches by the concept of revival. A revival isn't the same as evangelism. It's for God's people who need to be brought back into a healthy relationship with him. It's for those who already have a relationship with Christ. That's why you have the term revive on it, re-life. It's a new beginning of obedience to God. And that really brings us to Nehemiah chapters 9 and 10. I'd like you to open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 9 and 10 because in these two chapters, we're given the picture of revival. The Jewish community at the end of the Old Testament era, and I hope you understand that, the Jews of Nehemiah's day were the Jews at the end of the Old Testament era. Uh, This is the day of Malachi, or close to it. 
This is a time of the people who had been brought back from captivity. Some had been born in captivity and had come back from Babylon and the empire, really by this time the Persian Empire, and they're having a spiritual revival. And from them we can learn the steps that are necessary for us to take to have our own personal revivals. I mean, that's really, as I understand these two chapters, that's what it's about. They're having a revival as a nation, as a backslidden nation. But we need revival every day in our lives. Uh, Maybe you haven't sunk to the depths that some of these people have. Maybe you've gone further than, than these folks have. But the point is, we need a new beginning of obedience to God. So if you've gotten off track spiritually, and you're looking to get back with the Lord then you need to pay close attention to the steps to take. Now, last time we looked at Nehemiah 9, we discovered two steps, two of the steps uh, to a personal revival. There are really four as I see it. But uh, number one, we saw that the first step was confess your sin to God. In chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, we read about the Jewish people confessing their sins. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dirt upon them, and the descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners. That is to say that most likely what this means is that they said, look, this is for us. We're the chosen people. Uh, You are not the chosen people. You are Gentiles in our midst. It's all right for you to be here. But we have been called specifically to obey the covenant, to obey the Mosaic law. So they separated from all foreigners. They stood. And what did they do? They confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Not only did they say, look, we went into captivity because of our parents' sins, but they said, we went into captivity because of our own sin, and we're still in sin now. You see, Revival begins when we acknowledge our sin before God. When we, when we let the light of God's word expose our sin, and then we, we repent of it. And in fact, as I said the other week, confess means to agree with God. We agree with God. There are no excuses, no rationalizations, no justifications. We agree with God. We call it what God calls it. We don't say, well, I had a momentary lapse. No, it it was wicked sin. It was wrong. And God says it needs repenting of. And so we agree and we do that. We don't worry about other people's sins. We don't say, well, I responded to them because they did this to me. Well, then they need to confess their sin to God. And they probably need to confess their sin to you as well. But you're responsible for your sin before God. And that's where revival begins. You will never get right with God if you don't admit that you aren't right with him. I'm not sure if that's correct English, but that's a correct theological statement. You will never really get right with God unless you acknowledge that there's something wrong between you and God. And that's what confession of sin is all about. So that's the first point. That's the first truth. That's the first step. You will never have a new beginning if you don't realize and acknowledge it that you've gone off the the trail. You've got to get back on the trail. The second step is this. Reflect on God's compassion. And that's found in verses 5 through 31. We won't read, read that, but the Levites lead in a prayer of praise. And we saw this two weeks ago. They trace God's compassion in his dealings with Israel. They really give a whole historical lesson. God was compassionate to Israel in his dealings with the people down through the years. And the key words found in these verses are give. Why? Because God gave them so much. And compassion, compassion, Uh, you can read this on your own, and we we went over this the other week, so you should be familiar with it. God gave them things, he gave them food, he gave them his spirit, he gave them a land, 
He gave them promises. He was compassionate to them. But the key to this is that his compassion and giving have to be seen in the context of the people who are in sin. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point to this. The purpose of reflecting on God's compassion was to remind the Jewish people that as God was compassionate to them in their past difficulties, in their past sins, so he would be compassionate to them in their present difficulties. And you and I need to grab hold of that. As you're trying to get back on track with God, you need to remember he doesn't abandon us. He loves us, and you need to reflect upon how good God has been to you. And I suggested two weeks ago that um, we get a journal, that each of us get a journal and start writing down what God is doing in your life. Uh, not simply prayer requests, but, but uh, Lord, I'm going through this terrible time. I don't see any way out, and here it is. And just spell it out in writing, and then you will have the joy of looking back and saying, oh, you know, I forgot. Yeah, God brought me through this. That was a terrible crisis. That was a terrible time. God brought me through this. Oh, how wonderful he is. You know, I'm going through a rough time now. And, you know, the same God who brought me through this in the past is going to bring me through this now because this is the way he is. God is compassionate. So I would encourage you to write it down because you're not going to remember it. You're not going to remember it. It's a reflection that's designed to encourage us to focus not on our sin, but on God who is compassionate to us even while we are in sin. So I encourage you to do that. Now we move on to new material this morning. We, uh, we're moving on to the third and the fourth steps to a revival. The first step to personal revival, confess your sin to God. And I hope you do that. I hope you don't wait till the Lord's Supper to confess your sin to God. Some people have this idea that they, you know, they just confess um, when we have the Lord's Supper. No, confession is ongoing. In fact, I think most of my prayer life is confession. Most of the things I say to the Lord are confession. I, I don't know if most, but a lot. A lot more than I, than I uh, would like to be. Confess to God. And it's not one of these things where, Lord, if I've sinned. No, don't say if. What did you do? Agree with God that it's sin. Reflect on God's compassion. Lord, you've been so good to me. Uh, I praise you. You have, you have been so merciful. Now, the third step to a personal revival is accept God's discipline. Accept it. Notice, as I read the following verses, verses 32 through 37 of Nehemiah 9, how, how uh, these people accept their responsibility. And they accept that God has disciplined them and it's their fault and they're not fighting God. That's very important that you understand this. So just, uh, just follow with me as I, as I read and keep that in mind. Now, therefore, they write, or they say, our God, the great and mighty and awesome God, who does keep covenants and loving kindness, do not let all the hardship seem insignificant before you, which has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, on all thy people from the days of the kings of Assyria to this day. However, thou art just in all that has come upon us, for thou hast dealt faithfully, but we have acted wickedly. For our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your admonitions with which you have admonished them. But they in their own kingdom, with thy great kindness with which thou didst give them, with the broad and rich lamb which thou didst set before them, did not serve thee or turn from their evil deeds. Behold, we are slaves today. And as to the lamb which you gave, or you, you did give to our fathers to eat of its fruit and its bounty, behold, we're slaves on it. And its abundant produce is for the kings 
whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. They also rule over our bodies and over our cattle as they please. So we are in great distress. As the Levites bring this prayer to a close, they conclude by acknowledging that the problems that have come upon them as a nation have come by their own doing. That's what they're doing. That's what they're, they're really saying here. In other words, they accept God's discipline over them in relation to, to their captivity that they experienced and the subsequent consequences of that captivity. And, and basically, these verses affirm God's just. God, you've been just in dealing with us. You've been righteous. Uh, you know the expression that you, you made your own bed, now you're going to have to sleep in it. That's, that's kind of what they're saying. Lord, we've made our bed. We're going to sleep in it. We're in distress. We call upon you to be compassionate. But we have blown it. And we accept what you're doing in our midst. We haven't kept your law. We're slaves, they said. We're, we're really slaves to the king of Persia. The king rules over us. He rules over our cattle. He rules over our, our farms. Uh, Lord, we accept this. Now, this is a very helpful truth for us. This is not um, a, a an issue that was thousands of years ago. This is relevant for us. And the truth is this. Don't blame God for your sin. Just accept his hand of discipline. Don't blame God. No excuses. And, and certainly not blaming God. Now, why is this important? An important step in getting back to God? Because you will never be right with God as long as you hold something against him. And there are Christians who do that as long as you think he's treated you poorly. You see, the reason some believers are out of fellowship with God in the first place, the reason they need a revival is because God has brought in his sovereignty, he has allowed or brought suffering and pain into their lives and they've resented him for it. How dare God do this to me? I love him and look what he's done to me. I've worshipped him, you know, I've given him a lot and how dare he treat me this way. And they've actually held a grudge against God. And then, and I know that's out there because there are some who teach that, um, well, you know, what you, and you hear this expression, you hear it more and more, you need to forgive God. You know, that's blasphemous, but that's out there. I'm, I'm telling you, that's out there. There are a lot of counselors who give that, so-called Christian counselors. You need to forgive God. You don't need to forgive. He never did anything wrong. God cannot sin. God is perfect. And, and you don't need to forgive yourself either. You need to accept God's forgiveness. You need to confess your sin and repent. The Bible doesn't say you need, to conf- you need to forgive God. That's blasphemous. And it certainly doesn't say you need to forgive yourself. You need to accept God's forgiveness as you repent and believe the word of God. That's very important. Very important because there are, as I said, some people who held a grudge against God. And the way back to to God is to accept whatever he's brought into your life as coming from the sovereign and loving hand of God. He loves you. He is sovereign. He knows what's best for you. And when he allows pain into our lives, you need to ask the question of what is he doing in my life? What, uh, how does he want me to conform, use this trial to conform to the image of Jesus Christ? That's why James says that, that we ought to rejoice when we're going through trials, not because we enjoy trials, but because of what they produce. That's why, um, that's why Jesus said, and this is just a, a fact from the Bible, Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. Some of the things just God allows because we're in a sinful world. In this world you will have tribulation. Nobody escapes it. The most spiritual people don't escape it. You know, the thief on, there were two thieves on the cross. 
with Jesus, on the crosses with Jesus. Uh, one became a believer, one did not. But they both went through the agony of the cross. You're not exempt from pain because you're a Christian. You're not exempt from pain because you have your devotions every day. God is sovereign and what he allows into your life, you need to say, Lord, how can I use this to become conformed to your image? Show me how I should respond. And I, I want to suggest to you that God has shown, shown us how we ought to respond. We just don't want to do that. Remember Joseph, Joseph who had rotten brothers who sold him into slavery. If it wasn't for the interception of one brother, he would have been killed. They were jealous of him. They were rotten. And at the end uh, of when, when Jacob dies, the father dies, uh, these guys say, you know, now that our father's out of the way, Joseph might kill us for what we did to him. So we, and they actually go and lie to him. Our father said, uh, before he died, of course, you ought to treat us well. And they're lying and scheming again. And Joseph makes that great declaration at the end of Genesis. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And if I could paraphrase Joseph when he must have been thinking, you rotten guys meant it. You wicked brothers of mine, you meant it for evil. I've known that all along. But God meant it for good. And then Joseph, in his mercy and compassion, said, I'm not going to harm you. I'm going to treat you well. God meant it for good. You meant it for evil. So you may be going through pain. You may be going through difficulty. But God means it for good, not for evil. And you know what? You might, you might think, well, then why did he allow this horrible thing to happen to me? It was evil that happened to me. Uh, God allowed that, but for your good. And God will deal with whoever has done evil to you because he is a righteous God. He is a just God and people will not get away with their sin. You and I will not get away with our sin. God will deal, and he is the avenger, so you, you leave it with him, but God means it for good because it's pain that brings us closer to Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12 says that, that God disciplines those whom he loves. And when he loves you, he disciplines you for your own good to produce righteousness and holiness. If you're not disciplined by God, if you can get away with anything, then you're, you're not a believer. You're an illegitimate child. When you're in the family of God, he comes down hard on those who he loves in a, in a family kind of way. So his discipline is designed to make you Christ-like in character. It's an expression of his love. So you want, you want revival in your life? You want to get back to where you should be? Accept God's discipline. Don't fight it. Don't hold a grudge against him. If you've been doing that, he, you don't need to forgive him. You need to ask him to forgive you. That's a rotten attitude that needs to be dealt with because God is always, always right. If you don't understand God, it's because you don't understand God. It's not because there's anything wrong with him. As for God, the Bible says his ways are just. He's perfect. So that brings us to the fourth step in a personal revival. Because once you realize how much God loves you, how much he cares about you, and that his purpose in life is to conform you to the image of Christ, then you want to recommit yourself to him in obedience. And that is the fourth point and the fourth step to a personal revival. Confess your sin to God, reflect on God's compassion, accept God's discipline, and finally, commit yourself to change. Commit yourself to change. Look at verse 38 of Nehemiah 9, if you will. Now, because of all of this, all this that we're going through, all our sin that we've accumulated for all these years, God, we are making an agreement in writing. And on the sealed document are the, are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. 
the people and the leaders made a promise in writing to obey the Mosaic covenant. Obey the Mosaic law. In other words, they renewed their covenant vows. Just like a couple who's been married for many years say, you know, we've been married 40, 50 years. We want to renew our vows. That, that's what they did. They got back to what they were supposed to be doing. That's, that's what they're saying here. Now, the terms, the specific terms of the covenants are mentioned in chapter 10, and we'll, we'll delve into that a little bit this morning. But the truth here is timeless. The way back to God is commit yourself to change, to change the way you, you should have been all along, to change. If you look with me, Revelation chapter 2, I, I think, hold your place in Nehemiah 9 and 10, but in Revelation chapter 2, the Lord is dealing with various churches, uh, and most of them need to repent. So the church, chapter 2, uh, verse 1, he's speaking to the church in Ephesus, and they, they needed to repent. They, they had gone astray, but notice what he says to them, verses 4 and 5, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now, they were very active. They were very involved in ministry, but they had left their first love. Remember, therefore, he says, this is a solution from where you have fallen. Repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and I'll remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. In other words, get back to obedience out of love and devotion. Get back to doing what, what you did before you left the Lord in attitude. Is he your first love? You need to get back. You need to get back. After all, the reason you need revival in the first place is because you didn't change as you should have. Get back to where you should be. That's what the Israelites are saying. Lord, we want to go back to the Mosaic Covenant. We want to renew our commitment to change and to obedience. Now, I want, to, I want us to think about that this morning, about change. And before we look at the specific changes that the Israelites took, and we need to take, we need to think through the whole issue, or at least some of the issues of, of change. What, what issues are there? And uh, maybe you haven't thought about this. But number one, this is a pit that many Christians fall into, this whole issue of change. They don't like sin. Here's what happens. They don't like sin in their lives. They see sin in their lives, and uh, they, want, they, they pray about it, and they ask God to change them. But you know what? They don't see any changes. Maybe this is your experience. You see things in your life that you detest. You want them out. You pray about it. You ask God to change you, but there's no change. Why? Why is that? You're sorrowful for your sin, and you accept God's dealings with you, and you want to change, but you don't. Why? Well, let me illustrate it this way. I read recently about a man who always ended his prayers the same way. Here's how he ended it. And Lord, clean the cobwebs out of my life. Clean the cobwebs out of my life. Every prayer... That, that he prayed, at least publicly, was like that. Well, one of the members of, of this man's church, uh, the church that he attended, uh, became so weary of hearing week after week the same insincere request, because he saw no changes in the man's life. Now, the next time he heard the man pray, Lord, clean the cobwebs out of my life, he just interrupted the prayer and, and with his own petition, and while you're at it, Lord, kill the spider. So he just said, while you're at it, kill the spider. You see, um, if you're really serious about change, you'll do more than pray about it. You'll kill whatever is affecting you. You'll deal with it. You will make the changes. See, God's not going to make the changes in your life. He'll give you the power to do that. He'll give you the grace to do that. Always. 
It's important to note that while we need to kill the spider, we can't do it without God's power and His grace. Pastor Steve will tell us more on the next Verse by Verse. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to know more about Lakeside, you'll find plenty of info online at lakesidechapel.com or call the office during business hours at 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714 or lakesidechapel.com. If you want to listen to previous broadcasts, we have hundreds in our message archive, which is accessible through our website, versebyverseradio.org. And there's a convenient giving page if you want to help us keep these broadcasts coming. Thanks for your generous gifts. That's versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. We probably all realize that telling God, if you do this, I'll do that, doesn't work. God doesn't make deals, and he cannot be bribed. But... What if we simply make a promise to him? Is that okay? What if the man in Pastor Steve's story had prayed, God, with your help, I am going to kill that spider? It might not happen instantly, but I won't.